You're listening to Lighthearted, the official podcast of the United States Lighthouse Society. My name is Jeremy Dontremont. Welcome. My co-host today is Michelle Jewell Shaw, teacher, photographer, mom, and chairperson of Friends of Portsmouth Harbor Lighthouses. Hi, Michelle. Hi, Jeremy, and hello to all of our listeners out there. This is episode 93 of Lighthearted, scheduled for December 14th, 2020. On December 14th, 1857, New Dungeness Lighthouse went into service, and it's been operating continuously for 163 years. It's at the tip of the five-mile-long Dungeness Spit in Squim, Washington. I got a distant view of it on one of my trips to Washington. I hope I can see it up close sometime, although a 10-mile round-trip walk on sand is a little daunting. In any case, a shout-out to our friend Chad Kaiser, general manager of the new Dungeness Light Station. On December 14, 1903, the Wright brothers make their first attempt to fly with the Wright Flyer at Kitty Hawk, North Carolina. Wilbur was the first pilot, but the first flight was only three and a half seconds. After repairs, they tried again three days later, and Orville flew the Wright Flyer for 12 seconds, covering 120 feet. The Wright Flyer was the first aircraft to achieve controlled heavier-than-air flight. Also on December 14, 1916, the American writer Shirley Jackson was born. She's remembered as the author of novels and short stories like The Haunting of Hill House and The Lottery. In The Haunting of Hill House, she wrote, quote, No live organism can continue for long to exist sanely under conditions of absolute reality. Even larks and katydids are supposed by some to dream, unquote. Sounds right to me. And I think lighthouses provide an outlet for people to dream. Someone told me that we're going back to England for this episode. Is that right, Jeremy? As a matter of fact, it is. We're going to talk about Chance Brothers, one of the great manufacturers of Fresnel lenses for lighthouses and other glass products. Our guest is Mark Davies of the Chance Heritage Trust. Michelle, please help me tell our listeners about Chance Brothers and Mark Davies. Sure, Jeremy. The Chance Brothers and Company Glassworks began producing glass in 1824 at their facility in Smethwick, West Midlands, England. Before too long, the company became known as the best glass manufacturer in Britain. In addition to producing sheet glass, Chance Brothers perfected the methods of manufacturing optical glass for telescopes. In 1848, Chance Brothers began working on the manufacture of Fresnel lenses for use in lighthouses. A first-order lens was created and displayed in the Crystal Palace at London's Great Exhibition of 1851. The great Scottish lighthouse engineer, Alan Stevenson, called the lens fine work, but noticed that the glass had a distinct greenish tinge. The company perfected the creation of glass with the lessening of the green tinge and began the manufacture of lighthouse lenses of various sizes in 1855. Also, James Chance worked with Trinity House to adjust the lenses already in British lighthouses so that they were more efficient. The company's lenses were eventually used in approximately 2,500 lighthouses worldwide. The lenses were all sizes, including 13 hyperradial lenses, which are the largest ever used. The lighthouse board in the United States, which had previously bought all its Fresnel lenses from French manufacturers, started using Chance Brothers lenses in 1890. Among the most prominent Chance Brothers lenses used in the U.S. was the first-order Fresnel lens, 
installed in Hasita Head Lighthouse in Oregon, a lens that's still in use today. Chance Brothers also became involved in the production of prefabricated cast iron lighthouse towers. A standardized conical tower was developed that could be assembled in the factory, then disassembled and shipped to its destination. The company also manufactured smaller skeletal cast iron towers, mainly for use on pier heads. Chance Brothers also made lanterns and other components for light chips, as well as clockworks used to drive the rotation of lenses and lighthouses. Stone Holdings bought the Navigation Aids Division of Chance Brothers in 1954, and it became Stone Chance Limited. Stone Chance continued in the Navigation Aids business until it closed and was sold in the 1970s. The Chance Brothers factory in Smethwick was officially closed in the early 1980s. Today, the Chance Heritage Trust is working to restore the remaining buildings at the nine-acre Chance Glasswork site in Smethwick. The plan is to convert the site to a combination of residential units, educational space, a heritage center, a cafe, and archives facilities. Mark Davies is the co-founder and chair of the Chance Heritage Trust. I had an opportunity to speak with him in October. Let's listen to that now. I am speaking today with Mark Davies, who is a founding member and chair of the Chance Heritage Trust in England. And uh, it's great to have you with me today, Mark. Thank you so much. How are things across the pond today? Hi, Jeremy. Good to speak to you. All good here. Thank you. Obviously, we're all uh, coping with uh, the dreaded COVID, but, but coping and we're just carrying on as, as, as best we can. Same story over here. We're going to talk about the, uh, the Chance Brothers legacy today and what's happening with the uh, facility there in Smethwick. Am I pronouncing that correctly? Yeah, that's absolutely correct. Smedic, Spon Lane, Smedic. I wouldn't know except that I've watched a couple of videos on the on the subject, so I cheated. Let's start about your personal involvement first. How you got involved, the story of how you discovered the Chance Brothers legacy and then founded the Chance Brothers Trust is, I think, is really interesting. I think it has kind of uh, roots in Australia. Yes, I was on a on a, a trip to uh, Southwest Australia, and part of the trip took us to uh, Cape Lewin Bay and um, Cape Lewin Lighthouse. And fortunately, we could go climb to the top of the, the lighthouse. And uh, there I was standing at the top and uh, looking out at the Indian Ocean uh, and, and looking at this fantastic lens in the lighthouse. And I was just thinking, what a fantastic piece of engineering! And what, what a fantastic piece of art as well. And, uh, and there was this little manufacturer's plate underneath, which said, made by Chance Brothers in Smethwick, England. And I just stood there in absolute disbelief because, uh, well, Smethwick was about four miles from where I was born. And I'd never heard of them before. And there I was standing on the other side of the world, looking at this fantastic piece of, of engineering installed by a company that I'd never heard of. Uh, so I looked them up when I got back home, and uh, this was about sort of 15 years ago, and learned that they'd gone out of business, and really, that was it, really, and that kind of the story would have ended there. But I was sent a link to a film, and it was a film promoting a book called Lighthouses and the Race to Illuminate the World, which was written co-written co by uh, Toby Chance, who's one of our ambassadors now. And one of the chance family. I 
saw the film, I watched the film, and the opening shots of the film were driving up the the, um, the M6, M5 motorway, which isn't far from where I live, and the opening shots were showing this uh, fantastic seven-storey building, which I instantly recognised, and it turned out that that was the chance site, and it still existed. And so I um, wrote to the owners and just said, uh, and by then I bought the book, and I'd, I'd sort of seen how... Um, what chances are achieved around the world. And I just wrote to them and said, I think this will make a fantastic um, heritage project and, and what are your plans for the site? And uh, so that's where it all sort of started. And I sat down with the owners of the seven-storey building uh, back in 2015. Funny how we never know where inspiration might lead us or where the next inspiration is going to come from. Of course, we're, we're mostly going to talk about lighthouse lenses today. But yeah. uh, they were famous for many other things besides uh, lenses. Maybe you could tell us a little bit about that. Oh, gosh, yeah. Um, well, the, apart from um, producing the lenses, they made all the glass for the Crystal Palace for the Great Exhibition. We might talk about that uh, some more a bit later on. They, they made an absolutely wide range of, of items. They developed the first cathode ray tubes with John Logie Baird so that was uh, and cathode ray tubes were used for radar and they're in the first uh, televisions they made flat roll glass which is a sort of patterned glass colored glass stained glass windows they produced they invented fiberglass they got sheds full of the stuff but never knew what what to do with it so they never actually made a commercial uh, living out of it. Uh, they produced the first sunglasses, heatproof glass, fluorescent tubes. So they had um, uh, just a, a, a phenomenal um, sort of range of products. And they went into uh, ornamental glass uh, towards the end of their, their life. So there's thousands of pieces of ornamental glass around, around the world produced by chances as well. Uh, so they just had a fantastic uh, legacy. And of course, they were as much engineers as they were producers of glass and a lot of the, the mechanisms that were produced for, for lighthouses, the clockwork mechanisms and, and lots of ancillary equipment were all produced by them. I understand Chance Brothers also played a role in the famous uh, Big Ben bell tower in, uh, in London. Yeah, that's right. What, what happened uh, there was that uh, there, was a, there was a fire actually uh, the, the Houses of Parliament were burned down back in 1834. So they did actually install um, glass in all the Houses of Parliament. And then, of course, the, the Tower of Westminster, which houses Big Ben, which is the bell, they glazed all of the uh, the, the faces of Big Ben, uh, the, 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 the clock faces, in 1956, apparently. I regret to say they're refurbishing what, what is now called the Elizabeth Tower, and they're refurbishing it at the moment, unfortunately. They're, they're replacing all of the chance glass. So rather, oh. rather sad. We, we were trying to get hold of some at the moment so we can have um, an exhibition of, of some of the clock face, the old clock face glass uh, one day sometime in the future. So let's talk about the uh, Fresnel uh, lighthouse lenses made by Chance Brothers. The first Chance Brothers lens was a, a first order lens, a very large one that was displayed at the Crystal Palace. You mentioned the Crystal Palace a few minutes ago. Uh, it was displayed there. That was part of London's Great Exhibition of 1851. I'm yeah. curious, could you tell us a little bit more about what the Crystal Palace was? The Crystal Palace was uh, an idea by Prince Albert. And I'm sure you've, you've all heard of um, 
uh, Queen Victoria. Uh, Sir Albert, her husband, was very entrepreneurial and very innovative. And he came up with the idea of building an exhibition space to showcase British uh, British products, uh, but, but not only British products, products from around the world. And so it was the first sort of international business exhibition. And it was a huge site. And uh, there were 900,000 square feet of glass uh, in the Crystal Palace. It, it was a, must have been an amazing site. The final design only came up uh, about 10 months before it was due to be built. Uh, and so it only gave chances nine months to produce that amount of glass and so it was a tremendous, a tremendous feat of, of engineering to be able to produce the glass so quickly in such a short period of time. There are beautiful drawings of the Crystal Palace. They're pretty impressive. That's right. There's some fantastic pictures. Yeah, it's an amazing achievement. Chance Brothers was the first company outside France. Of course, France is where uh, the Fresnel lenses were invented by Augustin Fresnel in the early 1820s. But Chance Brothers was the first company outside France to get involved in the creation of those lenses. How and why did Chance Brothers get into the manufacture of lighthouse lenses? Apparently, it, it was an idea by, by James Timmins Chance, who first uh, suggested uh, the idea, uh, I think, in discussions with Trinity House. It started in about 1845, apparently. The whole process was accelerated uh, by uh, Georges um, Bontemp, who came over from France. Uh, in fact, I think he escaped from, from France. And he joined Chances, and he brought with him a lot of knowledge of uh, specialised glassmaking. Uh, and so that's kind of where it all sort of started off. And uh, Bontemp actually uh, recruited uh, various people with expertise from, from France and uh, so that's where it uh, that's where it started. Apparently, the the reason why they advanced the science so much was that uh, chances were able to remove the colour because apparently there were lots of issues with with the colouring glass, uh, a lot of flaws, lots of bubbles and uh, and different flaws. And so, really, they they advanced the, the technology by improving the quality of the, the glass that was being produced. The other thing they did as well was to uh, improve the, the lighting, the methods of lighting in uh, uh, lenses, because it, I think it started off as candles and then progressed to, to oil and then gas burners and then progressively uh, carbon arc lighting was introduced. And of course, that made a huge difference. I understand Chance Brothers also worked at kind of adjusting the lenses that were already in lighthouses to kind of maximize their, their power that's right, uh, Jeremy, that they did. As they improved the quality of the glass, one, one of the important components of, of an effective light was getting the angle of the lenses um, exactly right, because it was all about that parallel beam. And I have to tell you a little story about our, our, uh, our logo. If you've seen our, our logo, um, which is like a, a lighthouse. Yes. Um, there is actually a company that still operates as, as Chance Glass in, in Malvern, producing laboratory glass, uh, which was a management buyout back in the 70s. And uh, when we were forming the trust or forming the trust and we decided we needed a logo, we approached them out of, uh, out of courtesy because we wanted to use the Chance script that you'll see in our, in our logo. 
And uh, so we uh, came up with a design which looks exactly as you see it today, but with the, you'll see the beam sort of fan, fanning out as you normally picture most lighthouses. And uh, so we sent this uh, artwork over to, to, to them and said, you know, is it okay if we use this? And they came back and they said, no, no, sorry, you, you, can't, you can't use that. It's, um, it's not right at all. And we, we thought, that's really disappointing. They said, uh, no, you, you can't show a fanned out light on, on a lighthouse like that because the reason chances improved that the technology of lighthouses was a parallel beam. Uh, so we, we had to sort of uh, compromise with them. And if you look at our logo, you'll see a fanned out beam, but you'll also see an absolutely parallel white beam uh, to, to show the, the, the chance technology. So, so going back to the point that the key thing was that, as I said to you before, they were engineers as well as glassmakers, and they produced a, a sort of frame for the lenses to fit in that actually maximised the, uh, the effect of the glass so they could project light so far. So it was a huge step forward in, in marine technology and uh, marine navigation. Uh, it was a sort of GPS of its day. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Some people think lighthouses have been replaced by GPS. That's not quite true. Lighthouses are still a good backup to modern electronics. They're not quite as central to navigation as they were back in the, the 1800s. They're not, but I think there'd be a great outcry if, if they started to decommission lighthouses. They're these lovely uh, sentinels, aren't they, of uh, a sort of history that's gone before us. So uh, it'd be a great shame if we, if we lost them. Absolutely. It was interesting what you said about the logo. I was thinking about that because... Traditionally, a lot of companies and organizations use lighthouses as logos, and traditionally they'll portray them with that that fanned out beam, as you described. That's that's yeah. very typical, and I kind of know better than that. I know that's not how how the lenses actually project the light, but we're so so used to it. It's kind of a convention that's used all the time. I understand that Chance Brothers lenses were used in in approximately 2,500 lighthouses worldwide. I was looking at a list of lenses in the United States. Actually, the U.S. Lighthouse Society, this podcast is for the U.S. Lighthouse Society. The U.S. Lighthouse Society and a friend of mine, Chad Kaiser, uh, has worked a lot on that, a list of uh, Fresnel lenses that still exist in the United States, both in lighthouses and in museums. And I was looking to see what Chance Brothers lenses are listed there. Uh, there are some very prominent ones, a couple in California, Point Cabrillo or Cabrillo and Anacapa Island, Plymouth Lighthouse, Baker's Island in Massachusetts, Staten Island, Buffalo Harbor in New York, and Hasita Head in Oregon has a first order lens. That's, a, that's one of the best known lighthouses in this country. Could you say a little bit about what other prominent lighthouses in the UK maybe uh, have Chance Brothers lenses? The ones that spring to mind is Eddystone Lighthouse, uh, which is actually, funny enough, south of, south of Plymouth in, in England. Uh, so Eddystone is, is quite a famous uh, yes. uh, chance lighthouse. Portland Bill uh, Lighthouse, then the southwest is, is another one that springs to mind. The third one that springs to mind is um, Happysburg, well, Happysborough. Lighthouse. It's uh, on the east coast, not far from Norwich. Uh, and that, funnily enough, is the only privately owned lighthouse in the country. And that's still got a, a chance lens shining away. So that's, uh, that's really good news. Uh, but I think there's quite a considerable number of, of lighthouses 
around the UK that uh, all had chance lenses of, of one size or another. Qu- quite interestingly, we, we've been offered uh, a lens uh, by the, there's a, a fantastic uh, museum in, in Scotland called the Scottish Museum of, of Lighthouses. And they have some beautiful lenses there. And they've actually offered us a, a lens on long-term, on very long-term loan. It stands over 12 feet high and uh, weighs about four and a half tonnes. Uh, we, we're hoping to put that on, on the top of our lighthouse uh, when, that we're going to build. And perhaps we'll talk about that in, in a little, little while. But yeah, so the, I think the majority of lighthouses in the UK actually were, were all chance lenses of, of one size or another. And a lot of them are still still in place today. Yeah, unfortunately, though, uh, Trinity House are uh, updating their, their lighthouses and they're putting in these uh, sort of LED lights in favour of these beautiful lenses, I'm afraid. But they're, they're being careful about what they do with their lenses afterwards and some are being brought down and put on display at the base of lighthouses. It's so sad to see them them coming out and um, it would be wonderful to see them continue. I uh, agree. Yeah, whenever possible, I think it's best to keep one of those lenses, so-called classical lenses in the lighthouse, but I guess displaying it on the site is the next best thing. So besides the the UK and the United States, were Chance Brothers lighthouse lenses used uh, in other countries as well? They they certainly were. In fact, I I think it would be uh, easy to say, you know, what lighthouses around the world didn't use chances. There's a delightful map which you can see on our on our website, and it was in the book I, I mentioned previously about lighthouses and the race to illuminate the world. And this map shows where light the chance lenses were installed around the world, and uh, it's amazing. I think there's about 64 in New Zealand and and uh, about 135 in Australia. They are literally all around the world, huge numbers of them. Yeah, wherever you go in the world, well, as I experienced in, in Southwest Australia, they're still there. And, and we're just in an exercise at the moment, actually. We're working on a project uh, based on the Commonwealth Games, which are coming up in 2022. Uh, what we're trying to do is um, put a, a cultural project together which relates to lighthouses around the Commonwealth. And we're starting to plot where, where all of those are. And uh, there's one of our volunteers who's doing a splendid job on that at the moment. And I think he's up to about, th- apparently there are three and a half thousand lighthouses in the Commonwealth, of which 80% are still operational. Wow. Uh, so, so there's an awful lot still out there, still yeah. operating, which is, which is great news. But there are also some outside of the uh, the British Commonwealth, cor- correct? Uh, other oh, countries absolutely, as well. yes. Yeah, yeah mm-hmm. China, um, Japan, India, Africa, Africa they're, they're just, they are literally across the world. Right. Let's talk a little bit about some of the other stuff, uh, lighthouse-related items, equipment, that kind of thing that Chance Brothers produced. And actually, they also produced some lighthouses, manufactured some cast-iron lighthouses, what was important about that? What was special about the uh, cast iron lighthouses they developed? Well, cast iron lighthouses were, were produced because traditional uh, lighthouses were, were very expensive to build. 
and uh, very difficult uh, sometimes to, to build. I mean, we've all seen where, where some of these lighthouses are built and how they managed to do it with the technology they got at the time. Uh, I'll never know. But they, they were very expensive to build. And so uh, cast iron plated lighthouses, uh, lighthouses were developed so that because they were much cheaper to build. Uh, so they, they were able to construct them at chances, actually build them. And there are, are pictures of lighthouses that have been built on site to, to make sure they sort of fit together and then dismantled and then shipped out to, to various locations around the world. And there's one that sort of springs to mind at the moment. It's on the west coast of India, uh, Jagar Lighthouse, it's called. And we've actually got some original blueprints of that particular lighthouse, which look absolutely amazing. And that lighthouse is still operational today. So that, that's just one example. But yes, it was, it was so they were just uh, cheaper to build. They produced other things related to lighthouses and navigation? Yeah, they, um, I mean, apart from lighthouses, they also built uh, sort of lighting towers to go on ships. Uh, they produced buoys uh, and um, other, other sort of marine-based uh, lighting for ships. In fact, what, what I appreciated, there's a splendid book uh, that's still available in paperback. It was written in, the 19, in 1910, I think it was. What, what I hadn't realised until I was reading this book, uh, that apparently they not only revolutionised the, the, the lighthouse technology, but actually um, an awful lot of shipping was, was lost because they just ran into one another at, at sea because they couldn't see one another. It took them a long time, nearly 10 years apparently. They designed uh, moulded glass lenses to, to use on ship and that projected light for up to about three miles. So they used to, um, they developed these sort of navigational red and green lighting for shipping, but it took about 10 years to persuade the shipping industry to adopt it. But it saved thousands of lives because suddenly they could see where one another were and they were sort of capsizing themselves. So uh, yeah, it, that, that was a, a big step forward in technology. But they also produced a lot of the backup generators for, for lighthouses, um, all, all the, the clockwork mechanisms uh, that, um, that drove them. And of course, a lot of the, the bigger first order lenses were uh, floated on mercury. Uh, interestingly, there's, the, there's a, a, a company called Chance Brothers operating in Australia. Uh, they actually operate out of Melbourne in Australia, and they go around the world actually repairing uh, lighthouse lenses. And uh, they've actually designed a turntable to replace a mercury turntable. So, um, uh, so there are still advances in the design even now. I know that lighthouse buffs uh, are familiar with the name Chance Brothers, mostly in relation to lenses, but. Uh, they obviously did a lot of other things. So why don't we move on to the so-called regeneration, I think is the word that's that's uh, often used about this, uh, the regeneration of the Chance Glassworks site in Smethwick. Can you describe the uh, overall vision for the site? Yeah. Um, what we want to do with the site uh, is to develop it into an urban village, a, a mixed-use site of, of residential space, uh, enterprise space and public realm. So we want leisure facilities on there. We want to give local people access to the site. 
I, I mean, at the moment, the whole site is it's about nine acres. It's it's um, eight Grade Two listed buildings, which means they're protected, and the whole site is a scheduled monument. So I'm sure you've all heard of Stonehenge. Well, uh, this is a scheduled monument, so it's got the same status. Uh, unfortunately, it hasn't got the quite same level of importance, otherwise we'd be getting a lot more money, I suspect. Uh, but it is a scheduled monument. And underneath, there are actually still a set of tunnels that were actually designed and produced by uh, Siemens Engineering, who is still around today, of course, an international company. The tunnel system is uh, part of what was a regenerative furnace for one of their one of the furnaces on the, on the chance site. And we're, they're still in remarkably good condition, so we're hoping to preserve those as well. So what we want to do, Jeremy, is, is to create a destination out of the whole site. So hopefully people from around the world can come and visit. Uh, we want to build a lighthouse on the site. Uh, it gets taller each time we talk about it. It's started off at about 30 feet tall. I think we're up to about about 50 or 60 feet at the moment. <clears throat> so we want to build a replica lighthouse. And what we want to try and do is install a lighthouse in a position where you'd be able to actually go up to the, in the lighthouse to and see that, that original lens I talked about, that hopefully Scottish Museum Lighthouses are still minded to, to lend us. Uh, and then you'd be able to actually go down into the, into the tunnels as well. So we're hoping it'll, it'll create this fantastic destination that, that people can come and visit uh scottish museum of or museum of scottish lighthouses is that the correct name i think so it has what i believe is actually the largest collection of classical fresnel uh, lighthouse lenses in the world they have got an amazing collection and i recommend anybody who, who visits scotland go there if you if you love lighthouses it's, it's a must see uh, they all love their lighthouses there so the the lighthouse you have planned for the site there sounds sounds really exciting. But let me ask you, I'm not quite clear how much has actually happened. Has the restoration of the buildings started? I have to say, Jeremy, no. This uh, when this project started off, I, I said to my wife at the time, "This is a five year project." And of course, we we started out. Uh, we established the trust in 2015, and. We've made a, an awful lot of progress. Uh, we've raised, raised a lot of awareness about the site and the importance of, of Chance Brothers and their industrial legacy. It, it's such a large regeneration project that it, it has a tendency to frighten funders uh, because they just see it as, uh, as, as too big. And so we're doing it in phases. So we're focused on what we call phase one at the moment. So that's the restoration of the seven-story building uh, which was built in about 1856. And uh, so we want to restore that building and have a mix of new buildings on there as well and to restore one of the canal arms because the, the site is surrounded on two sides by canal. Uh, so we want to restore the, the canal arm as well. Well, it's just a, a great project. I was just thinking of something uh, that I thought I'd mention for our listeners who might not be f that familiar with uh, geography in England, uh, Smethwick is almost in the center of the country, a little south, I guess you might say. Uh, so it's not it's not close to the ocean. <laughs> it's not. It's it's right in the middle. And of course, when we build our lighthouse there, 
I, I gather that we'll actually make the Guinness Book of Records by building a lighthouse the furthest from the coast. <laughs> well, there are some uh, so-called faux lighthouses in the U.S. that people have built, some pretty substantial ones in places like Iowa and other places far away from the coast. So okay. we'd have to have to check and see what the, the record is for that. If anybody there would like to, to help us build a lighthouse there, they'd be very welcome. I saw something on the internet about there being a problem with trees taking root in the brickwork in the buildings. Is that a major problem you're going to have to deal with, or what's the story on that? Chance, Chance Brothers were actually acquired by Pilkingtons uh, back in the uh, 1940s, and it was an aggressive takeover. When they took over the, country, the company, they gradually wound it down over the next sort of 30 years and, and sold bits off, hence Chance Glass in Marble and so on. When they disposed of the site, the gates were locked in 1981. Ray Drury, who was a works engineer at the time, who locked the gates for the last time, who's still alive, actually, very much alive, and uh, uh, loves to talk about uh, the chance, chance uh, glassworks. When they disposed of the site, they sold it off in three parts, and, and that's why the site's really stood in a derelict condition for the last sort of 38 years. And we're gradually breaking down those, um, those issues, and there were about nine parties involved, and we're now down to three. So we're, we're gradually uh, eliminating uh, some of the some of the challenges, uh, but part of the site uh, is still owned or uh, in, under the control of a leaseholder, who we're trying to negotiate with at the moment. Unfortunately, they're not too bothered about the state of the buildings, and we've got these um, uh, trees growing growing out of them. And of course, as the trees get bigger, the more damage they're doing to the buildings. So. Uh, the sooner we can get in there, get control of this and, and do something about restoring these beautiful buildings, the better, really. You mentioned how part of the, the plan really is to, to make it a, a destination that people are going to want to visit. And part of that is a heritage centre. Uh, that's correct. Uh, we want to build um, a heritage centre. Uh, I mean, what we want to do is we might want to make this site really uh, a vibrant place. So it's not all going to be a, um, a museum. Uh, but part of it yeah, is going to be devoted to a heritage centre, which is going to feature the Chance Archive, uh, because there's a huge archive of, of chances, uh, still in different locations at the moment. So it's going to be an opportunity to bring all of the Chance Archive together. We will have a, a lot of Chance products on, on show and... Uh, I say, hopefully, if we can get one or two more lenses, that would that would be really great. And uh, so, uh, so yeah, it's going to feature the chance history and and their amazing uh, their amazing industrial legacy. And uh, I think a cafe is also planned as part of the. Yeah, yeah, we'll certainly have a, a cafe uh, there, and uh, one or two, and even a bar, I suspect. What do you think a revitalized Chance Brothers site will mean for that area? And the uh, Smethwick is in an area called the Midlands, is that correct? It's actually, yeah, if you try to follow our, uh, how we break down our areas, it's not, it's not quite as straightforward as it is in the, in the States. But um, uh, it is in the West Midlands, which is a, a sort of large conurbation. But Smethwick is, is in um, a council, what they call a council area, a council district called Sandwell. It's in, in, in a, bringing it down smaller, it's in, in a ward uh, called the St. Uh, Paul's Ward. 
And the St Paul's ward is in the top 3% of the most deprived wards in the country. Uh, so it's a very deprived area and it's in uh, great need of, of regeneration. And of course, what we want to do with the site is to, as we develop it, is actually use the site as a way of providing training opportunities for people. So it's an opportunity to upskill people, create jobs, create good quality jobs and, and a good quality environment. So a place where people can, can live uh, and can work in as well and enjoy the access to the, to the canals uh, on there as well. Uh, so uh, it, it would make a huge difference to the area. You mentioned the fundraising is still ongoing, uh, and uh, I'm just, you don't have to give numbers or anything, but is, is, uh, it's probably still a long way to go before all the funding is in place for this project? Well, as I said, we, we're trying to do it in phases, so um, I think right. the, the, the numbers are a little bit frightening, but phase sure. one is, is, around about, is around about 15 million pounds. What we've done, Jeremy, if I can just explain, uh, which it might be of interest to your listeners, because we were uh, we were a registered charity, and uh, last year we converted ourselves to what they call the Community Benefit Society. So we've still got our charitable status, so we're still a charity so that we can't dispose of the site. So very much um, uh, charitable aims. Um, but by converting to a community benefit society, that actually allows us to sell shares in the project. We launched our share offer on the uh, 29th of February, and uh, it was a, a brilliant event, and hundreds of people came to it, and uh, um, we got off to a fantastic start. And what happened was, of course, COVID kicked in, and uh, uh, and everybody got concerned about their sort of finances. So. Uh, say we, we um, our first shares offer our target was two hundred and fifty thousand pounds, and within about a week we got about fourteen thousand, but it just kind of stalled. And so what we had to do in the end, we felt it was uh, not appropriate time to to let it run. So we withdrew the shares offer, and we were hoping to relaunch it again probably early next year if conditions allow. Just waiting to sort of monitor the situation and see how we go. But it's a great opportunity for people around the world to actually have a little bit of a share in, in this project. And um, so I, I just thought I'd mention it uh, because your your listeners might might be interested in having a little bit of a share in this project. Yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking. So if they are interested in, in that, uh, should mm-hmm. they contact you? There must There's contact information on the website, correct? Absolutely, there's contact information on the site, and uh, it, and if they keep uh, monitoring our website, and um, just again for you, for your listeners, that the, on our um, on our website we've got a, a videos page, and there's some amazing videos there. In case anybody gets the opportunity to watch some of them, there's a royal visit that was in 1940, and there's also a fascinating film about high seal glass. Uh, which is heat-resistant glass, and it shows you, um, it's, a, it's a silent film, but it lasts about 23 minutes, and it's all about the production of glass. And there's quite an interesting part in there because it shows you them making the cathode ray tubes for televisions, and it also shows you how they made the flat glass for, uh, for the Crystal Palace, which was made in tubes, believe it or not. Uh, so they used to form the glass in tubes and then slit it and roll it out flat. 
and that's how they made Flat Glass. Uh, so there's a fascinating, fascinating films on there about, about it. But if people just keep monitoring our, our website, we'll announce the moment we're going to do our, our new shares launch, and it'll be a great opportunity then to uh, to take part. Yeah. So I don't think we've said it yet. What is the website address? It is www.chanceht.org. Chanceht.org. So I have one final question for you for bonus points. What has been your personal favorite part of being involved in the Chance Heritage Trust and the regeneration of the Chance Glassworks? I think one of one of my things I've really enjoyed about this is the opportunity to meet former employees of, of the Chance Glassworks. In their heyday, they're employing about three and a half thousand people. And so there are a lot of people in the area that either worked for Chances or had relatives that worked for Chances. It's absolutely fascinating meeting them because they've all got fem- fond memories of Chances. Ray Drury, who I mentioned to you, who's works engineer there, when he left Chances, uh, when they closed, he worked for the NHS Health Service for 20 years. And you'll get about 30 seconds of, of talk about the NHS at Ray, and then the rest of the time you'll just spend talking about Chances, because that, that's his really memorable time. And you hear some absolutely fascinating stories, and one or two... Uh, lovely ones but recently uh, there was um, a film made uh, about two people who actually met at chances and uh, are married and have been married 50 years so uh, there's a link on on our website to that film which is uh, a, a lovely film and so yeah it's just just these opportunities to, to sit and listen to people reminiscing about chances and uh, you, you see some people because they're all getting on a little bit, uh, and they absolutely light up when they're when they're talking about uh, their time there. So um, yeah, I find that's a really enjoyable part of it. Yeah, it's often the the people that are the best part of these these projects. Absolutely. So uh, Mark, uh, I, you know, I'm going to keep monitoring this obviously, and uh, I hope we can talk again sometime. And follow the progress of this this amazing project. I, I just think it's a, a really fantastic and worthwhile project. Nothing worthwhile is ever easy. <laughs> I guess you're gonna you're gonna make it. I know it. There's a, a strong will there, and where there's a will, there's a way. So it'll it'll happen. Uh, anyway, I want to wish you all the luck in the world, Mark Davies, the chair of the Chance Heritage Trust, and I want to thank you for spending this time with me today. Thank you, Jeremy. I really enjoyed it. I have to say, as an aside, um, at every meeting I have attended, uh, if I had a pound for every time somebody said to me, this is complicated or it's difficult, I could have built it twice by now. Yeah, thank you, thank you for your support and thank you to your listeners for, for their interest. And uh, please keep watching the situation and uh, keeping an eye on that website. And we'd love to talk to you again. Thanks to our guest, Mark Davies. Again, to learn more about the Chance Heritage Trust and the history of Chance Brothers, go online to chanceht.org. As always, thank you to everyone associated with the U.S. Lighthouse Society. If you're not already a member of the Society, check out how you can join at uslhs.org. 
Members receive the quarterly journal, the Keeper's Log, along with other benefits. And memberships and donations support this podcast and all the many education and preservation projects of the U.S. Lighthouse Society. Thank you to all the volunteers and staff of all the lighthouse preservation organizations in the United States and all around the world. Keep up the great work. We're all on the same team. If you listen to this podcast through Apple Podcasts, please rate and review us. And to everyone, as always, thank you so much for listening and keep a good light. Let it shine, let it shine